And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Ow! Help me! Or two! This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 54 on Two True Freaks. My name is Scott Gardner and I am joined by my best friend, Chris Honeywell. How are ya? (laughs) I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Ready to talk some Star Wars? Oh yeah. Me too. So this time around we'll be wrapping up the annuals by doing annual two. And if you guys are going, wait, wait, wait. There were three annuals. Yes, there were, but we already talked about the third annual way back when. Mm-hmm. So this wraps up we the annual Bass Hackwards. <laughs> bass Hackwards. Yes, we did. Let's see. What do we got going on before we got it's a little preamble type? Oh, I know. I got something that I wants to finally gloat about. Gloat, gloat, gloat. Uh-oh. So I finally got my sweaty, grubby little paws on a Jedi Mickey Starfighter. Ooh. I have been wanting one of these. This was the, to me, this was the big item this year at uh, Star Wars Weekends. I really, really wanted one, but I held back. I was like, eh, maybe I can end up finding a special on it or something like that. So I finally did actually score a special on it, and oh, this thing is sweet, man. It's essentially like, you know, the the regular ones that they've been putting out there, the the commercially available, the the different Jedi Starfighters that they've done. I know they've done a number of different ones. They're all pretty much the same mold, the same model, but they're styled slightly different depending on who the Jedi is that has them. Because I know they did Mm -hmm. them for, like, Obi-Wan and Anakin and Plo Koon and, you know, the different Kit Fisto and all those. But this one was cool because it's Jedi Mickeys, you know, so it has, like, little hidden Mickeys on it and things like that. Plus it comes with the the Mickey figure, Jedi Mickey, and his own personal uh, R2MK. And I just, I wanted one. I just thought it was cool, so I wanted one. But I I held off on, on getting it. And uh, it finally turned up at uh, one of the special cast member places where I get a, a nice, healthy discount on it. And uh, so I snagged it and a really good deal on it, too. So that's going on a place of honor on my shelves. But I finally got one. I was so happy. It just makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. Rub it in. <laughs> but it is. It's cool. I think it's neat. But that got me to thinking about... Uh, 
you know, Star Wars, Disney, all that sort of thing. And supposedly, I just uh, saw something about this the other day, Facebook or somewhere, that, you know, the, the D23 Expo is coming up in Anaheim. By the time you guys are hearing this, it's it's a little over a week away for you. It's uh, August 9th through the 11th in uh, Anaheim, California, the D23 Expo. It's kind of like Star Wars Celebration, but for Disney fanatics. And supposedly, there's a big Star Wars news coming. Some, I don't know if it's just one announcement or several announcements or what, but big Star Wars news coming. I'm hoping it has something to do with all the rumors swirling around about more Star Wars coming to the theme parks. I'm really hoping that's what it's got to do with, but that would make sense. Yeah, definitely. I know there's, you know, there's been a lot of rumors. There was that news story. I think we touched on it last Star Wars Monthly Monday about, you know, the big rumor that was out there that there was going to be a Star Wars land and, you know, new attractions and all that. I don't doubt any of that as far as, you know, that there's going to be more Star Wars coming to the parks but you'll believe it when you see it. You're well, waiting to... It's more of, I, I want to see what it's going to... Because I'm thinking big. I'm thinking bigger than Star Wars Land. I'm thinking much bigger than the rumors that are out there. I, I'm thinking that whatever Disney's going to come up with is going to be huge and, and blow us all away. And we're all going to be like, ooh. So, I hope so. I, yeah, I hope so, That'd too. That would be nice. I can't wait. I am very excited about that. So, when I knows, I'll let you know. So, but... uh Really, really looking forward to that. And then I heard this was just like yesterday or the day before. I heard that the dates and location had just been announced for Star Wars Celebration Seven. Right. I was Did you just hear about this? The same thing. Yeah. Yes. What do you think, man? It's you know, by 2015, I should probably be able to set that up. I have peoples in L.A. that I could <laughs> stay with. That's close to Anaheim. I'm so, thinking a lot about it. It's April 16th through the 19th, 2015, about a year and a half away. On my budget, Subject that's about change. what I need to yeah, no kidding. manage something like that. Here's the way I tried to sell it to the wife. It's <laughs> almost two years away. I mean, it's right after my birthday. My birthday is the 12th. This is the 16th through the 19th. So you guys could hit Disneyland too. Exactly. Right? That was the big thing. We ever since we caught the Disney bug, we've wanted to go to Disneyland and we've never been. So this would be kind of the confluence of events. It would be Star Wars celebration for me. It'd be for my birthday. But also 2015 would be the 60th year of Disneyland. It'd be a little bit shy of Disneyland's actual birthday, which would be in July. But essentially the 60th year of Disneyland. And we've both really been wanting to go. And I know that she's not really interested in going to celebrations. So if I could go for just a day and manage to get a press pass, which I'm pretty sure I could do. I mean, we went to the we last, did last time, right? You know, and all I could, would have to do essentially is uh, hope, for the, <laughs> hope that they would remember us and, you know, try to contact the same people and worm my way in again. So, but... uh <laughs> You know, for me, you know, Disneyland, I mean, I, my pass is good there, too. So we'd get into Disneyland for free, uh, could probably work out some sort of uh, discount or something as far as, uh, you know, if we actually stayed on property there at, like, the Disneyland mm-hmm. Hotel, which is where I would want to stay. I'd, I'd want to stay at the actual Disneyland Hotel if we could afford it. Press pass for the event. So really it would come down to, 
you know, the typical things, airfare and food, you know, food money. Maybe so, we could go to Universal Studios, too. Thinking about The it. actual Universal Studios. That would be cool. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. So, I'll, uh, I'll keep you guys posted, but man, it would be... That West would... Coast Freaks. I've, I've always, always, always wanted to go to Disneyland, so I think that would be really cool. So, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to see how things shake out, but I think that would be a lot of fun. You'll be able to walk Disneyland in like ten minutes. You'll be like, that's it. <laughs> no, no. I, I see. I would want to be going for the history factor. So, yeah. would go armed with like just scads of pictures of Walt in the park, so that I could go and try to get my picture taken, like in the same place, in the same place, or maybe you know, get it, get it, get, get <laughs> what it. What a nerd. Well, I get it taken because I've seen a lot of them. I don't know if they're really out there in the public eye, but at work we have a lot of pictures that have been coming out um, in the past couple of years where it's a picture of Walt in black and white in a particular venue at Disneyland in half of the picture, and then the other half of the picture is in color, modern day, with a cast right. member performing their job. And it's like Walt is watching them, or you know, Walt is there with them while they're working, kind of thing. Sounds <laughs> creepy, really, a little creepy. Cool. No, I don't know about creepy, but it sounds a little corny. But to see the images, it's really, really cool. And I would love to do something like that. The, like the one I'm thinking of, especially, is there's a great image. It's kind of a classic image of Walt Disney, where he's standing on Main Street, USA with the castle in the background so it's that you know that long shot down main street and he's standing off to the sides of the train tracks looking at something on the ground and a lot of people have been taking pictures of themselves standing kind of opposite of him and then photoshopping it so that they're there with him and i like that mm -hmm. idea i think that'd be really cool to do something like that but within our power yeah I think that'd be a lot of fun. Man, 2015, one way or the other, whether I get to go to that thing or not, 2015 is shaping be a good year. massive year. There's so much stuff going to be happening in 2015, but uh, I, I'm really, really excited about all the stuff coming along, especially, you know, the, the Star Wars stuff. There's so much other stuff, too, but especially Star Wars, you know, with the new movie and, and all that sort of thing. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You had a little shout-out of your own, right? Oh, yeah. Not a little shout-out. Great big shout-out. I I mentioned it in Comics Monthly Monday, but I'm going to really drive it home this time. Scotty Rifon is a hero of Two True Freaks. Even though his show breaks every rule of podcasting, <laughs> he's the rebel of Two True Freaks. This episode is our last episode of the actual Marvel comics. This is the actual last... Mm -hmm. Marvel Star Wars comic even though it was over a few months ago this is really the last one mm -hmm. so after this we have to go for all the scraps and the stuff that was in the the uh it, technically the 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 UK stuff is still Marvel comics but you know but all that's been collected we've been talking about it for months that that new collection from Dark Horse called, what is it, Wild Space? Yeah, Star Wars Omnibus uh, Wild Space Volume 1, yeah. And uh, I remember we were kind of worried because you, you, had, you had a copy of it. I pre-ordered it, baby. Yeah, I wasn't but, missing uh, out on that. I, I couldn't afford a copy of it, and 
you know, we were scrapping around trying to dig up all the stuff because that's next episode of Star Wars Monthly Monday. That's the stuff we're starting to cover. Mm-hmm. Get your and, copies now. Go to Amazon. Go through our Two True Freaks <laughs> yeah. affiliated link. Give us a little kickback on that sucker. We need it. Well, all of a sudden, guess who's mailed me a copy of Star Wars Wild Space? Oh, Scott Python. That's awesome. Scott's, Scott's, Scott's good people, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's gorgeous. I love those little, the omnibuses, omnibuy, omnibuses. I love the size of them. Mm-hmm. And, Isn't it beautiful? But, I mean, yeah, the art really pops nice. in there. Yes. Because uh, one of my favorite stories, and it's funny that it's one of my favorite stories because, uh, you know, of course, it, it's Marvel UK. So it's not widely known. It's not been widely reprinted or anything. But one of my favorite stories has always been the day after the Death Star. And the art in that particular story, in that particular reprinting in the Omnibus, really pops. It looks fantastic. It's just that beautiful, classic Carmine Infantino art. And it's it's just gorgeous. It's been very hard for me. Actually, I decided not to start reading it till we started going into it. So it's been uh-huh. hard for me to do. You know, I've just... I, of course, have gone through it and paged through it to see what's in there, but I haven't sat down and read a story yet, even though I wanted to read Space Cthulhu. <laughs> now, have you read any of that material before? Yes. Oh, yes. I read a bunch of it in various CBR forms. I've read Space Cthulhu, but it was a long time ago. Okay. See, I wasn't sure if you ever had, because a good number of the stories that are in there, like The Day After the Death Star were in those paperback books. You know, the Marvel, what are they called? Marvel Comics Illustrated Version of, Mm -hmm. and there were two different ones of those. And I think we've covered Star Wars 3D, too, which is in there. We did, yeah, I forgot. Not 3D. Yeah, that's really strange that it's not 3D. I actually kind of like that only because I own the actual 3D issues, so it's nice to be able to just read it where you're not going to get a headache. Well, I would have printed it... Hmm. I would have printed it both ways. That's not a bad idea either. What I was going to say is if I didn't own them, I think I'd be a little bit annoyed by that. But since I already own them, I like being able to see them without the 3D. But yeah, I did think that was kind of a uh, just kind of an unusual decision to take something that not only was it originally 3D, you're making no bones about the fact that it was 3D. You know, they even list it that way in the book. You know, Star Wars 3D, and they reprint the original cover. So that does seem like a strange decision. Now, do you to... think there might have been something to do with? Um, was it Dennis Kitchen who did the? Somebody who did the process of the Ray Zone, wasn't it? Ray Zone, that's it. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Kitchen Sink Comics, maybe. Oh, maybe they'd have to like pay him a royalty or something. Yeah, that he yeah, his uh, process might have been part of that's... the whole thing, so it might be in there somewhere, keeping it from being yeah. reprinted without giving him money. Yeah, good thinking. Yeah, that's. Pro- I bet you that's it right there. They probably would have to give him some sort of kickback. I'm almost positive he's credited in those books. I could be wrong, but I, I think he is. Because that's one of those names, I'm, I'm actually amazed I even remember that name, but the only reason I remember it is his name's in every like 3D comic you ever look at. It's it's always mentioned yep. him because he invented that process. So, yeah. Huh. But, uh, yeah, I'm, well, I think what we covered, you know, we'll, we'll have to go back and examine that. To be we sure. might have only fact, done I one, epi- one issue. The first one, so maybe we could do the other two as well at some point mm-hmm. and, and 
uh, you know, touch on uh, on the whole bunch of them. But yeah, I'm really I'm looking forward to getting to that omnibus a lot because uh, there's some really really good stuff in there. There's some really wacky stuff in there, but most of it is uh, is really good Star Wars, and it's a nice throwback to the very earliest stuff that we were doing with covering Marvel Comics Star Wars, you know, the, the pre-Empire stuff with Infantino and all that. I, I, I still have such a soft spot for that stuff. So it'll be a nice little look back and, you know, but also to, to look at, you know, what the, what the Brits were reading for Star Wars because it, it tended to be just a little bit different for that audience. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. All right. Especially when Alan Moore was involved. Yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> whenever funny. I finally get to hang out with Scotty Rifen, I'm I'm getting him a Philly steak sandwich with no vegetable matter whatsoever on it. <laughs> it'll it'll be on a bun made of bacon. <laughs> well, we have any other preamble? No, that's it for me. All right. Well, I have a treat for the listener ears. For the Sweet first treat for your feet. <laughs> for the first time in oh my god, about a hundred years, <gasps> I have a book review. What? You read a book? I read a book and it didn't even have any pictures. Is your brain bleeding? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so book review time. This book was Star Wars Legacy of the Force Betrayal by Aaron Alston. Now, Aaron Alston, every time I, th- I think about him now, I-, I can't help but feel like really, really stupid because we actually met him and we were on a panel with him at Dragon Con in 09. I can't remember which of the two panels that we were on that he was a part of. And we treated him like a punk. Kinda, he was the yeah. guy. He was the guy with the glasses and the long hair. He yep. was really nice. Was very very nice. It I, wasn't that we treated him like a punk, but he was very quiet during the he, panel. He he didn't say much, and because he yeah. didn't really pipe up much, I think we just kind of you know we just kind of ran with the show. So well, yeah, but I mean, before and after the show, he was really really nice. But we were like, oh yeah, that's nice, you know, because we hadn't heard. Don't you hate it when you do that? Yeah. Oh, you're an author? Oh, I'd love to read your book one day. And then you read it and you're like, hey, that book was really... I'm assuming that you're going to say it was good. You're about to find out. You know, we actually ran into him again. Uh, now that I think about it, we ran in into, into him at, uh, at Celebration briefly. You're right. I, I just remembered that. He was really nice then, too. Yes, he was. And uh, I think he said something about being legally blind now or something like that. Do you remember something? Yes, like that? you're right. Because I said, I, I said, I don't know if you'll remember me. And he's like, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I can't really see now. So he goes, I'm going to, you know, I'm trying to remember how he phrased it. Something about, I have to take your word for it or something like that. But once I refreshed him about the panel. And I sniffed like, the back of your hand. That's how I distinguish people these days. <laughs> or he starts just feeling your face awkwardly. Oh my we, god, I should break a, out my old Coke bottles and just tell people that all the time and just manhandle people's well, faces all the time. I, I just happened to have brought a, a lathe and some clay with me, so we had the little <laughs> ghost moment you know, together. It was really beautiful, actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I want to... <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Oh, I want to know where it's going, right in the garbage. <laughs> Right in the garbage of my memory. Oh man, delete. So I wanna, 
I want to preface this synopsis by saying that uh, I, I wrote it for folks like Chris and myself that love Star Wars, but were largely unfamiliar with the EU as far as the... I thought you were going to say people who couldn't understand more than two or three syllables. <laughs> well, that too. But no, I mean, people that, you know, we grew up on Star Wars, we love Star Wars, but somewhere along the way... You know, the EU kept going and we just kind of, you know, we got off at the second stop kind of thing, you know, and, and haven't really followed it. So for some of you, you might be like, yeah, yeah, all right, we know this, you're breaking it down too fine. But again, I, I, I this is kind of like for the for the beginner of the EU. So this book, it picks up the story of our heroes from about as far as I could determine, it seems like it's been about 37 years, give or take, after the events of uh, Return of the Jedi. And Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Luke Skywalker, they're all getting on in years. They're all now in, like, their 60s to 70s. I mean, they're really up there. And Han and Leia, they're still married, and they have two surviving children. They have the twins, um, Jason and Jaina, who were born in those Timothy Zahn novels. They're now grown adult Jedi Knights. And apparently they had a third child named Anakin, but he died sometime prior to this book. He, it was mentioned, but not. they didn't go into it a whole lot. But what about their other kid, Ralphie? <laughs> they haven't talked about him much. So Luke is married to, are you ready for this? Mara Jade. Oh, was the former Emperor's Hand, and yeah. now she's a fellow Jedi Master. She she was the redhead that was introduced in mm -hmm. um, the Zahn books. So they're married. They have a son. Um, he's a teenage. He's thirteen, and his name is Ben, and he's apprenticed to Jason Solo, his his own cousin. So the galaxy is more or less at peace at this point. It's been recovering from something called the Yuzan Vong War, which happened, I'm not sure how many years prior to this, but more or less the galaxy's a, a happy, shiny place and everybody's getting along. Sort of. The Rebel Alliance has long since mutated into something called the Galactic Alliance, and it governs pretty much all of known space. However, there is civil unrest, because it seems that Corellia the home system of Han Solo is up to some intrigue and it's building this secret fleet and trying to reactivate this old Death Star-esque space station slash space weapon gun thing. And just generally, they're, they're wanting to be independent and autonomous from the Galactic Alliance. So this naturally puts Han Solo in a really weird position because he's a hero of the Alliance, but at heart, he's always going to consider himself, you know, a, a citizen of Corellia. So this naturally also puts his wife, Princess Leia, in an even weirder position because she's torn between her oath to protect and uphold the laws of the Galactic Alliance because she's a Jedi Knight, and then obviously her allegiance to her own husband. So relations are further strained when Han and Leia later learn of a secret sabotage mission that was conducted against the Corellians by their own son, Jason, and his apprentice, Ben, who is their nephew. And this uh, secret mission was ordered by the Jedi Master, Luke Skywalker. 
situations escalate, and there's some really, really good writing in this book and a lot of intrigue that essentially ends up pitting many of the new and younger characters against the older and more beloved characters that we're familiar with, and even parent against child in some cases, often without these combatants even realizing who exactly that it is that they're being pitted against. And amidst all of this, the other major plot consists of Jason. On his own, he attempts to track down the person or persons behind all of this political intrigue and eventually meets up with a dark and mysterious woman who is ultimately revealed to be none other than my absolute favorite character from Marvel Star Wars, Shira Bree. Oh, I thought you were going to say Mala. (laughs) So Lumaya herself tempts Jason to join her and embrace the dark side of the Force. And that's kind of where the first book ends, where this book ends. And I just got to say that... uh, when was this book written? When was this book put out? Had he written this when uh, mm, you were on yeah. the panel with him? Yeah, this was... Um, uh, it would have been great to have known that. And oh, I know. Them. I um, I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say 2006, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once this book got going, and that's the thing I have to stress about this, is that much like Attack of the Clones or, say, Revenge of the Sith or even Return of the Jedi... I felt like the opener, like the first, I don't know, fourth of the book maybe, really, really dragged to a point where I almost gave up on it. But, you know, as I talked about last episode, I finally hit that portion of the book where it was like, ooh, you know, it it touched on something where, okay, now I'm intrigued and I have to keep reading. Once it gets going, it's a solid read and it never lets up. I, I consider myself like officially hooked now. And it's funny because I didn't expect, not only didn't I really expect to, to like it as far as like really get into it, I didn't expect to love it. And I really do. I, I'm really getting a, a big kick out of the adventure here. Um, mostly because, for one, I don't feel lost. For the first time reading one of these damn EU books, I, I don't feel like I need to be sitting there and constantly Googling and, and checking mm-hmm. and finding, you know, who are they talking about? What's I don't know what the characters are. I know who everybody is. You know, once you have your core characters, you know, you got Luke, Han, uh, Princess Leia, the droids and all them. And then pretty quickly they bring you up to speed. So I really get the feel that I don't know if it's Alston or somebody at Lucasfilm or what, but I get the feel that somebody said, let's make this a jumping on point for people. Let, let's write this in such a way that if all you know is the movies that you can still jump right in and go, okay, we're picking up 40 years later, go. And that's what it feels like. So I don't, I I really like that feeling. I don't feel like I've missed anything. And honestly, at this point, I'm enjoying this ride so much. I'm not particularly compelled to go back to that gap where there's like 500 books in there. Right. Because I, I just, I'm. I really like. You this. can keep going. Yeah, I can just keep going here. forward, and I, I like where I'm going with this ride, and uh, it, it's really been cool. Uh, one of the aspects I really liked is uh, I, I really I don't think I've ever read anything from Alston before. If I have, I don't remember, but I think this is the first thing of his, of his that I've ever read, and he's really good 
with the character moments. He really seems to understand these characters. There was a really interesting moment where Wedge plays a, a slightly bigger role in the beginning of this story. And there's a little bit of political intrigue with him where essentially the Galactic Alliance, once they realize that the situation's going to escalate, because he's a hero of the Alliance, but he's also a Corellian, they basically conspire to take him off the table. So they trick him, essentially, into putting himself in a position where he can be locked away for the duration of whatever's going to happen. There's a portion where he's actually being held, and one of the guards is really nice to him and treats him very respectfully, you know, is respectful of his rank and just his place in galactic history as one of the heroes of the rebellion, that sort of thing. But there's another guard that treats him completely differently. And once you get to know that character and the motivations of that character, you come to understand that to a, from a certain point of view, his hostility towards Wedge makes sense because he basically has lost everything because the Empire was overthrown. So to him, Wedge isn't so much a hero as if it wasn't for you and your damn war and, and overthrowing the Empire, the Yuuzhan Vong wouldn't have been able to walk all over the galaxy and we wouldn't be in the shape that we're in today and I wouldn't have lost everything. And I thought that was a really unique angle, a really good perspective, because it's kind of realistic, if you know what I mean. And, and, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. Nuanced. Yeah, very much so. Um, there's a really great moment in the book where Wedge and Han Solo are on a, a clandestine mission, and during the course of the the battle, the little mission that they're on, the fighter pilot that's dispatched to take them out turns out to be Wedge's own daughter. And Wedge doesn't know it, the daughter doesn't know it, but somebody clues Han Solo in. So not only is he trying to not be shot down by her, he's trying not to let her shoot down Wedge. And then he actually gets into a position during the course of the story where he has to make the hard choice, die or kill her. Or kill her, yeah. You know, and it's, it's like that, you know, that moment in making the tough decision. It's, it's a really good moment of the book. I like that one a lot. And Leia manages to sneak in a really good Han shot first joke that I t really appreciated because it's very subtle, but uh, I liked that a lot. Uh, Leia, really, she's honestly about the only character in the whole thing so far that I felt is a little weak. She doesn't really feel like Princess Leia to me yet, but something may have happened in those intervening years that maybe, I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. she's mellowed out or maybe her character has changed or something, but she's so far, she's kind of like the Deanna Troy of the story. She just doesn't do or say a whole lot useful just yet. And I'm, I'm hoping that that changes at some point, but definitely the big hook for me so far has been the potential for conflict between Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. That's a novel idea. You know, that, that's something I hadn't really expected before. Because even in Marvel Star Wars, there was only really one little moment during that uh, Waterworld story where they were mm -hmm. kind of found themselves at, at, at odds. And even that didn't really play out 
very long once they realized that they could kind of work together to fool both sides then they weren't really at odds anymore but in this because of the way things are going luke of course you know he's a he's a jedi he's the he's the head jedi he's almost at this point it almost feels like he's almost a stooge for the galactic alliance you know what i mean like like no matter what they do he's there to support their decisions and carry out their orders kind of thing and that's bringing him into direct conflict with han not only because han's a corellian but luke is using han's own children to carry out these missions it's sort of echoing some of the what the jedi were doing in the prequels very much so and and i really like there are very strong parallels between this story and the prequel trilogy, especially Revenge of the Sith, Han, so far, seems to be the only one that really is getting that. That he's mm-hmm. And he's said to Luke, and I'm not sure if it's in this book or the next one, because I'll be honest right now, I'm about halfway through the very next book, because I'm, I'm just flying through. I'm really enjoying this. But there is a moment where he essentially says that to Luke. You're it's you're doing it again. It's it. This is going to go badly. Do you not see the historical parallels happening here? Mm-hmm. I like that. I like Han being he's being hot headed, but at the same rate, in a lot of ways, he's the only one with his head on straight in some of the aspects of the story, and that's been really exciting. Uh, I'm like I say, I'm really digging it. Um, if you have access to this, Chris, I would highly encourage you to, to check it out. I think you'd dig it. Like I say, it's a little slow getting going, but once it gets going, so far it hasn't let up. And I'm, I'm blowing right through the, uh, the second book. What's funny is uh, when I hit that period where I was like, you know, I'm not really feeling this. And I have trouble reading books a lot of times only because I, I can't seem to find the time for them. So I tracked on the audiobook and I was like, well, I'll just listen to it as an audiobook. So I started listening to it and I listened to it from the beginning. And I got caught up to where I was reading the actual paper book and realized that yeah, I already knew going in that it was an abridgment, but it totally skipped that part with Han and Leia talking about Luke that I was so excited about. The, the basically the part that hooked me wasn't in the abridgment. So when I realized that, I was like, "Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and go back to the book then." Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was really disappointed that the that the audio book didn't have that, but I know that once this series is over, and the next series starts, the uh, Fate of the Jedi, I think it's called. Those from that point forward, the Star Wars books are all unabridged. So that'll be interesting. That'll help me get caught up that much quicker if I can actually like both read the book and like listen to it on the way to work or something like that. Yeah. So hopefully it'll keep going because uh, it, it's been a hell of a good ride so far. I mean, come on, Shira Bree, I'm hooked right there. That was what kind of made me pick up the books in the first place was knowing that she pops in there somewhere. And that's been very, very interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to. She's she- got to be a bit long on the tooth. Yeah. Well, I mean, they acknowledge that. That's one of the cool things about this is that, you know, these aren't comic book characters. They have aged. They've definitely aged, and that's referred to a lot in the narrative. I mean, they make little jokes about their age and things like that. But also, 
it's not Han Solo action star. You know, they're they're right. only taking the you know the author is taking into account that no, these are guys in their sixties and seventies, so they're not going to be you know out there running around doing action star. You yeah. know, the actual movies. age of Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, and it's so that's where a lot of the younger characters come in. You know, the 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 sons and daughters and that sort of thing. And the, so far, they've been really interesting characters. I wasn't sure how I would feel about that. But I think one of the things that really plays in well is being a father of children that are around the ages of some of the characters. I'm liking getting that perspective on these characters that I feel like I've grown up with now their parents and seeing how they're relating to being parents with their children in danger. And, and it's, it's interesting. It's really been interesting, especially with Han, because he's very protective of Jason being his only surviving son. But at the same rate, he's seeing the path he's going down and it's putting them at odds with each other. And so that's been a really interesting dynamic, and uh, and I'm really I'm enjoying it a lot. And of course, the next book, the book that I'm reading right now, Boba Fett. It's a Boba uh, Fett story. I mean, Boba Fett, written by Karen Travis, who was the author on all those uh, Clone Wars books about the clone mm-hmm. troopers. Pfft, I'm sold, and I've been blowing through that one, and uh, and it's been a hell of a ride so far. So. I'm digging it, man. I think it's a. I think it's a whole lot of fun. So again, this was uh, Star Wars: Legacy of the Force: Betrayal. Aaron Alston. I give it two big thumbs up. I thought it was a really, really solid book, and uh, I'll report it back on uh, as I finish up and keep going on this. I'll report back, let you know what I thought of the other books. I'm sure you'll have torn through maybe a couple of them by the time we're. <laughs> we'll see. Be next time. <laughs> we'll see. That went a little bit longer than I intended, so why don't we take a quick little break and we'll come back with uh, Star Wars Annual Number 2. The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents The Nom. Join me, Tom Paneris, for In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series The Nom. Each episode, I will recap and review one issue of the series, as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I'll also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com. You can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com.
Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 54. And I said before the break, Star Wars Annual number 2, correction. It's Star Wars King Size Annual. Ah, number fit for two. a king. <laughs> Don King. <laughs> all right. Rodney King. Rodney King. <laughs> Can't we all just get along? <laughs> all right, Star Wars Annual number 2. With a cover by Carmine Infantino, and I'm assuming Rudy Nebrez. Mm-hmm. Nebrez? Neb- Nebrez, Neb- Nebrez, Nebrez, I- I'm not I sure. I think he was, wasn't Nebrez. he on uh, uh, Mr. Rogers, Handyman Nebrez? <laughs> Could Anyway, ni- 1982, $1 for this comic. It was an expensive one. Written by our pal, Dave Michelini. Mm-hmm. Um, pencils by Carmine Infantino, inks by Rudy Nebrez. Now, his name sounds familiar. Did he work for, did he do like his own art too, or was he always an inker? The name sounds familiar to me, but I, off the top of my head, I don't remember, and I was too lazy to look it up. But I'll tell you what, I can do some homework real quick while you go into your synopsis, if you like. Yeah, I had this feeling that he used to work for, like, Creepy and Eerie and stuff like that and did those sort of horror comics. Could be. Yeah, give me a minute, I'll look it up. His name just seems really familiar. Rosin and Chang, lettering. George Roussos, color. Jim Salakrep was the editor, and Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief. And this issue was called Shade Shine. Which <laughs> almost sounds like you're getting your, your um, sunglasses polished or something. But anyway. Isn't that what, what the what the pop that turned into underdog used to do for a living? <laughs> Shade shine, sir. <laughs> All right. So Luke, Lando, and three PO are on the planet Ventuin, one of the eight billion Tuins <laughs> in the universe to Spit-tuin. investigate. <laughs> Spituin, <laughs> Hacktuin, to investigate a rumored powerful weapon. That is somewhere on the planet. Unfortunately, so is the Empire, and a group of stormtroopers are pursuing our heroes. They duck into a temple and are confronted with a giant gold statue of their old buddy Han Solo, who is at this time in the continuity of stories still hanging out in his carbonite block. So, uh, little chubby happy priest shows up and seeing that Luke and Lando are the same race as their savior Han he leads them into the temple and plays a magic rock with Han's voice recorded on it telling the story of how he saved the monks from a tyrant the Satab Satab? Satab Soltek <laughs> Han had come to the planet to see if he could scam some of this rare spice but uh when he uh, goes into town and starts asking about it at a local watering hole, the natives turn very hostile very quickly and chase him into the streets. While being pursued, he hops into the chariot of the Catab's concubine and basically shoots a bomb out of the air that's been chucked at her by uh, a priest's son. I can't tell if he's a priest also, but he's one of the priest's sons. And... Uh, 
She instantly takes a liking to Han and decides to take him to the palace to meet the Satab. When don't go away, it's time to play Meet the Satab. He finds, I'm going to keep writing, I love just saying this guy's name, and he finds the Satab to be kind Satab. of a prick. Satab. <laughs> Satab. <laughs> the Satab uses a stone called the Shadow Shine. Isn't that gain- what Bugs Bunny used to say all the time? Ah, Satab. Satab. <laughs> suffering Satab. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, he uses his magic rock called the Shade Shine to gain wizard-like powers, such as aging the monk's kid who tosses a bomb to death. And uh, Han uh, is invited to stay the night. But in the middle of the night, he decides to sneak out to see if he can't steal some of that expensive spike. But the Satab's concubine finds him first, and so he scrogs her for a few hours instead. (laughs) Yes, he does. He even has a Captain Kirk putting his boots on, except he's putting on his vest. (laughs) But, unfortunately, the Satab has used his magic stone to watch in. He and is pissed. He and some weird for some reason he takes Han to see his mining operation the next day, and then it seems like he releases this giant purple monster who Han makes pretty short work of and saves the life of a bunch of miners. The Satab takes this as a fulfillment of a test and wants to make Han his replacement Satab. Chris Sala, the concubine, tells Hank, or tells Hank, Hank. I'm going back into her, <laughs> tells Han why that, why that sucks to be Satab. The shade shine gives great power, but it burns you right out. So all former Satabs have to find a replacement and then go into suspended animation in a vault until a cure is found. Before Han can accept, Chrysala takes the shade sign and has a wizard war with the Satab, who Han, Han trips up with a rock as he's uh, trying to make his way into the chamber. He falls down and burns up real good. Then Chrysala, tainted by the stone, relegates herself to cryosleep. Meanwhile, in the present, Luke, Lando, and 3PO hardly have time to take in this whole story when they hear the stormtroopers catching up. Using one of the talking rocks, they lure the troopers into the Satab chamber, putting them into suspended animation and then allowing Luke and Lando to have one look at the slumbering Chrysala. And Lando is walks up and takes a peek right under her dress. <laughs> 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 is that the end of your that's it. That's it. <laughs> there is no more. <laughs> and that's how the printed issues of Marvel Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> comics ends. Oh, With man. Thunderous applause. I have got all kinds of crazy notes on this one. Um, my biggest one right off the bat being... I don't think I've ever read this again since the very first time that I read it. And now I feel kind of bad about that because I... I didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't remember liking this as a kid. Yeah. I think it was one of those things... I think was was Han wasn't out of um, 
It, it wasn't. This was pre Jedi. Right. Yeah. No, this was firmly in the period between Empire and Jedi. As a matter of fact, I was trying to find where this story is supposed to be taking place in the continuity and i couldn't quite say yeah because that's what i think i didn't like about it is it was it was just like okay here's a side you know here's a standalone story and i wanted something big continuity wise to happen in the comic yeah but this was in spin your wheels phase so they couldn't really do anything so it's i appreciate it a lot more now it's not until that very last panel of the story, literally the last panel, where you even find out how they got to this planet, which actually turns out to be by Y-Wing. So it was Luke, Lando, and 3PO all cramped into the cockpit of a Y-Wing, which is just an awkward thing Pee-usa. to think about. And what, you know, what was the whole... You know, they say something about they were coming to look for a secret weapon or something, but ultimately, what I mean, where the hell would this fit? Because they had their own things going on all through this period. So I don't know where there's wiggle room in the continuity of Marvel Star Wars for this story to happen. I don't know. Well, it could have been one of those things where... They were on one of the missions that we had in the comic, and they were like, oh, by the way, we're near that planet where there's supposed to be the great... I mean, it's not... You could... You know, I'm sure it wasn't thought out to this, but if you wanted to, you know, push it, you could say, ah, well, you know, maybe somebody, some spy person or something had heard about this starshine, or, you know, stoneshine, (laughs) wizard stone... You know, and magic rock, pet rock, and and like sold the information to the rebels and the empire. So they both sort of got it at the same time, and and Luke, Lando, and three PO just happened to be in that quadrant. They were like, "Hey, go check it out!" At that time, coincidentally, when Huey, Dewey, and Louis the stormtroopers are there checking it out. Yeah, oh, it's ridiculous. It's all story element, but. I'd buy that maybe if it wasn't for, I mean, Luke has seriously regressed in this story as far as his depiction. He's back in his Tatooine outfit, and it's Luke the Barbarian again. He's got his shaggy hair back, so it almost feels like a pre-Empire story when it's It's, clearly a post-Empire story. So it's it's just very really weird because, I mean, usually, I mean, I'm a big fan of Dave Michelinie, Mm -hmm. and I don't think this is a bad story. I think it's a good story, but it's unlike his, I mean, a lot of what I really like about him is he's able to capture the essence of whatever franchise he's writing when he was writing franchise stuff. yeah. And his Star Wars stuff, when he started writing Star Wars, that's when it started feeling like a a real extension of the movies rather than just the comic version. Right. Whereas this one is sort of a, you know, it's sort of like a little sword and sorcery kind of story, you know, with, with Han Solo fulfilling a prophecy, you know, a little prophecy story. Very, not a very Star Warsy story, Mm -mm. really. No, there's there's definitely elements I liked though. I always thought the, uh, you know, the temple where if they walked in and spent too much time in there, it would put them to sleep, and then they'd be floating mm-hmm. there forever and suspended. And I always thought that was kind of a 
a creepy, you know, interesting. Well, you know, I visual mean, he thing. really he really thinks out his universes because it seems like everything. Like this plant, they were fascinated by his blaster, and they're like, "Oh, they don't have mechanical stuff here. They just have rocks that do. You know, they have magic rocks. Mm-hmm. They have rocks that if you put these rocks together, it'll make you go into cryo sleep. And these rocks, it'll make it so you can mine with them. And these ones make the rocks into recorders and stuff like that. So it's it's got its own little world going there that and its own little logic and laws of physics and stuff." That I th- that's it's neat. I mean, I really I was wincing with like I was like oh geez oh and I got the synopsis for this one too. <laughs> and I remember as a kid like really hating the art in this one. And now as an adult, I really like the art in this one. I maybe it's Rudy Nebra's the way he. Uh, Inks Infantino, but there's you know there's like good chunks of it that are really stylish mm-hmm. that remind me a little of Frank Miller, but more of like Walt Simonson when he was in full Thor mode. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that sort of simple backgrounds, but just simple everything, but just evocative shapes to to really give it depth and. And life, and then really lush inks on top of it. And I don't know why I hated the art in this, because I really enjoyed it this time. There's some parts of it where, when it's not in that style, when it tries to go more realistic, and it doesn't quite work. But a lot of that's Infantino, you know, like the Millennium Falcon not being quite. There's one. Uh, and once again, no numbered pages. Mm-hmm. But there's a shot towards the end of the Millennium Falcon, and there's two shots of it. Right, pa- the panels are right over each other, and one, you know, the the end with the two little parts that poke out of the saucer. They're like there's like a huge spread in between them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just wrong. And then in the next panel, it's exactly right. You know, it's. It's like they maybe moved in a little bit or something. Right. Maybe they can do that. I don't know. Nah, I don't know about that. You know, I totally forgot in my synopsis that that Han Solo took the the magic rock and threw it in his engine instead of selling it for a gazillion dollars somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he pulled pulled an Indiana Jones and didn't make off with the thing at the end of it. Which, Which is, is funny because he's not Indiana Jones at that point. He's a bastard at that point. Mm-hmm. The uh, not that actually not that the argument that Indiana Jones isn't a bastard too. <laughs> I don't want to say that. When they first meet, uh, what's his name? Pin, Vetter Pin, or Peen, or however the hell you pronounce this guy's <laughs> name. That. Shot I don't. The, you notice I didn't even bother with the. Yeah, I did notice that as much actually. as I could because I hate. Yeah, the trying names to are pronounce weird. these names that they just come up with with a dartboard and letters. <laughs> he looks a lot, and of course that both characters are drawn by Infantino, so I'm sure that this is not a coincidence. But he looks almost exactly like the guy that sells Luke and Leia 
the replacement ship so that they can get back to the rebellion at the end of the wheel storyline. I don't know if you remember the part that I'm talking about. Oh god, that was I, I way back. I yeah, remember that. I can't remember what issue number that is. I want to say something like twenty five or twenty six or something like that. But I just I always remembered that scene where they go to like it's basically like a used space vehicle lot, and they deal with this guy that sells them a ship, and he looks just like this guy. It's it's like Infantino had a had had stock figures or something. Yeah, well, uh, he brings back his stock tiny headed stormtroopers. Well, there's another character here I'll touch on in a minute that uh, I swear I've seen before. Um, it's got to be said, Luke looks like a girl in a whole lot of panels in this title, in, in this got, issue. Luke's got his, his free and natural hair. Mm-hmm. Well, his and, eyes, too. His, there's a number of panels with his eyes where he looks like he's got wearing... got eyeliner like, on, yeah. Yeah, eyeliner and, and thick lashes. And um, there's one page towards the end where C-3PO looks like one of those goggle-eyed cat clocks where the <laughs> eyes go back and forth. <laughs> and to the people who do licensed Star Wars stuff, just send me 10 bucks for that idea, man, because that would be a great wall clock. <laughs> that would be a good wall clock. We get both a horonk and a, uh, a vroorp from Chewbacca the... The Vrorp one reminds me of uh, of a noise I'll make after we're, a lot of beans one night. We're, we're lucky we got Chewy because Chewy's sort of dispensed with him. He's just sort of like, well, Chewy, stay on the ship. They're not going to like you here. <laughs> I'm going to put on my space farmer suit. Actually, that suit that uh, Han wears reminds me a lot of the disguises that uh, Kirk and Spock wear in Errand of Mercy. Yeah, first thing I thought of, and Han actually looks pretty good with a cape, and I, the hat looks kind of goofy because it's like a, it's like a straw farmer hat or something. But the cape is actually kind of cool on him; it makes him look a little bit like Lando. I thought that was actually kind of neat because there's that panel where he's running, where he runs out of the bar, and then the next one he's like really running like full tilt before he runs into uh, Chrysala and her unicorn procession there. That, yes. that panel with him running is actually really cool with the cape out behind him, like Our Man or something. Actually, and, really cool. and Infantino really gets to indulge his uh, proclivity to the mammalian yeah, protuberances no of his female protagonists. No kidding. In this one, and and I like that she's that Han. It's like she's just like I want to show you the sunset from my room. That's not for six hours, exactly. <laughs> Zing, they, his space belt is unhooked. They definitely scrump because there's, uh, there's, she, her hair and clothes are completely different in the morning than what they were from the night before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's putting on his space vest. Come on. Do you notice that the guys that Han runs into at the beginning, when he first gets to town, there's the, uh, the He-Man... Appreciation Society are holding that parade and they push the priest down. Look at those guys. Mm-hmm. Every one of them is dressed like He-Man. <laughs> and then oh, what here's is... where they describe their sex. Hours passed, not unpleasantly. <laughs> not unpleasantly. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, come on, man. How awful is that of a description? That's no... It's supposed to be Dear Space Penthouse Forum. <laughs> I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> I usually tour, I usually travel around with a with an eight foot tall stinky furry <laughs> space wookie, 
and usually cuts my chances of getting lucky. But this time, <laughs> it was a solo mission. But down, 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 What is it with Han Solo and Priest? Because isn't this the same way that the uh, Eight Against the Galaxy story started? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With him rescuing the the bug headed priest, remember the yeah. when they looked like a cockroach or something. And these kind of stories, priests are always, you know, it's it's almost like uh, Sergio Leone westerns, right? Or the w- westerns like set in in Mexico and stuff, you know, right? With the gauchos and stuff, where there's, you know, the priests. Oh, you know, the the guy who runs into town always has a checkered past, but the priests know he's going to redeem himself. Fulfill the prophecy. Yes, yes. They know that he's good at heart, and the priests knew this from the start because Han helped him up out of the mud. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey there, buddy. So so Han spends the night scrumping the uh, concubine oh yeah while satab watches which is just wrong but then his green alien buddy is there watching with him his name is plodget i don't know i used to have an eraser like that when i was a kid that looked (laughs) just like him we have seen this guy somewhere before haven't we yes we have in carmine infantino except he was tall he had the same, especially when you see him in profile. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember exactly who it was. I I think he looks a lot like the alien that could increase his density in the the Princess Leia, oh, Darth Vader story. You know the 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 loan. You know the cash plan, the bank yeah. planet story. But also, I mean, I'm I swear he looks exactly like a character from another. Maybe it was the. That flashback story of Obi-Wan and the Clone Wars, maybe? I forget. But I know I've seen this friggin' alien before. Because I, I like that style of, of Infantino alien. He That one always jumps out to me. Because he kind of looks like... Almost like the Gill Man or something. He, he's yeah. Just, they're they're kind of cool looking. He, it's a really good design. He's like the Gill Man mixed with Orson Welles and Danny <laughs> DeVito. <laughs> yeah. Picture that, folks. You got to get the comic to see that. Man, I tell you what, our nickname for Dave uh, Michelini of The Predictor is uh, yeah. dead on because there's so many things, again, that he predicts. When uh, Satab unleashes, actually, it's a Plodget that unleashes the monster when Han is down in the mine. Han picks up the, the nearest object to him, flips uh-huh. it. And it falls and kills the monster. Is this not the Rancor scene from Return of the Jedi? It's the exact Oh, the thing same even thing. looks like the Rancor a lot. It does, actually. It does. But I saw that and I was like, wait, that's exactly what Luke does in, in Jedi. He picks up the thing that's closest to him, which is a skull, throws it. And it's one of the... Because when I saw this, what made me think of that was I was reading this... And I saw Han picks up, in this case, it's not a skull, it's a spear. He picks up a spear, throws it, hits a stalactite, which falls and kills the monster. And I'm thinking, that was a hell of a good throw. You know, when the hell did we ever see something like that? And then I thought, wait a minute. Han, or Luke, rather, does the exact same thing mm-hmm. in Jedi. He picks up the skull, throws it, and just happens to hit the right thing to make the door come down. So... 
it's not that far of a stretch when you consider that. No, it's there's precedent for it. There's yep. uh, and then there's a there's a flinging back and forth of rocks and stuff that's very episode two, end of episode two like. Hmm. Did you catch? Uh, there was mention of Ord Mantel. Yes. I thought that was kind of cool. Something about the what was it? The sunrise of Ord Mantel or some some weird thing like that. Oh yeah, here it is. When the when they go into the chamber, it says and like the sons of Ord Mantel, a secret door in one wall began to rise. I'm like, huh? <laughs> but I thought it was still cool though. Now I got to thinking about this shade shade shine, which is a really awkward thing, to, uh, an awkward name. Yes, but shade shine. Could this, the the thing that's enhanced in them through this spice or whatever it is, through this object, is this amplifying the force so that even somebody who's not necessarily force sensitive or a force user, is that the power that they're getting here? It could be. They're just using it in a different way. You what we that's the thing is we can't tell because Han destroyed it or else Luke would have been like oh this is you know like the Kaber crystal or something mm-hmm. you know yeah I didn't so, even think of the Kaber crystal yeah it's very good, possible because yeah. well, I, I was thinking well, it's hard to tell is it the crystal or you know the 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 stone or is it the spice because it seems like the story almost goes back and forth. So I was thinking more about the spice because there was in um, in those well, meds that's like Dune, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought of it. You're right. I hadn't and even. That's the same thing, that. and it extracts a terrible price, right? But I mean, it's the it's the stone that that Han burns up in his in his exhaust pipe at the end, right? So yeah, I was a little confused about that because she says it's the stone. But Han watched Satab dump the spice out of the stone into his food or something, right? Isn't that... Well, he was just dumping some spice into his food. And that's when Han noticed it and was like, Oh, this guy's got the spice. (laughs) He's got the old spice. He's got the spice. Yeah, I was a little confused by that. Because, um... There was uh, those MedStar books that I like so much. They were they were set, you know, in the Clone Wars. I don't know if you remember when I talked about those. It was basically yeah. like like Mash in Star Wars. Right. There was the storyline in that where there was some drug on the planet that they were on that, like, when it was refined and and used, would like like basically beef up your force sensitivity and stuff. And there was one of the Jedi that got addicted to it. And that's what got me to thinking about this. So I thought it was more the spice than the stone, but I'm I was a little bit confused on that whole thing. I'm wondering if they find the cure for this, how the hell they're going to get the people out of there? Right. So, go in there and grab one. Grab the nearest one. It's going to be like the killer joke from Monty Python that everybody goes in there. Exactly. Comes to. <laughs> well, the last note I got on this, I got a kick out of. You know the stormtroopers are always calling somebody, you know, you rebel scum, or you know, it's, they, uh-huh. they always have some sort of little insult for the for the rebels or whoever they're hunting down. I liked this one. This, the stormtroopers are 
they think they're sneaking up on Luke and Lando, but it's actually the trick to get them into the temple. But one of the stormtroopers says, careful now. The rebels may be illiterate scum, but they're tricky illiterate scum. I'm thinking, illiterate? What the hell does that have to do with anything in this story? I've never seen Luke read or write anything. Right. It's just funny, like, but yeah, it's not like they're says, following a sign that's badly spelled, like, we're hiding here, and the word here is misspelled, or so I could understand right. then, but yeah, there's nothing uh, referencing well, anything I mean, he's just maybe quoting some imperial propaganda, you know. <laughs> the, the, the rebels are all toothless, illiterate, inbred hicks, just, like, shooting from the, the shrubbery. But, you know, he's one to talk about illiterate when he's got, like, a regular human-sized body and the head the size of a dog's head. <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah, these are some, uh, as you know, I love me some Infantino, but these are some yeah, weirder-looking... genetically yeah. deficient. These are not the A-team of clones. These are some of the reject clones, probably. <laughs> the half-baked clones. Well, it almost looks like maybe it was really hot one day and they're they're armor warped or something maybe they were left in the back seat of the car too long or something yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they, they, they like couldn't afford the top of the line armor so they've been buying the pieces one at a time but sometimes they have to buy different sizes you know depending <laughs> on what they can afford at the time <laughs> you'll grow into it yeah sometimes they just take some white paint and paint that part of their body <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all I got on this. I, I did like it better the second time around. I do like the little Twilight Zoney ending of, of seeing Chrysala mm-hmm. in the in the chamber with all the other floaty bodies. It's it is creepy though. That's that's actually very creepy. Oh, did you catch you, you said you have this as a paper issue, right? Yes. On the inside Oh yeah. Cover the uh three villains versus fourteen heroes. The good guys haven't a, got a chance. Marvel and DC present the uncanny X-Men and the new Teen Titans. I wish I hadn't sold this. I used to have this autographed by everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Do you have a copy of that anymore? I mean I know you don't have that I, copy, but do you have a copy of this book? I believe I do, and I believe it did the exact same thing my original copy did, and it had the, the center out, yeah. piece of it fell out. Yeah, that's yeah, a common problem with that particular uh, yeah. with that issue. If you have a copy, we need to dig them out and cover that sometime. I'd like to read that again. Yeah. I mean, come on, Walt Simonson and Terry yeah. Austin. It is. It's gorgeous. Cha-ching. Robin by uh, by Simonson. It's really cool. Really, really cool, but yeah, that's all I got on that one. I I liked it. I thought it was uh, it was a decent read second time around. Yes, yes, I was not. I was about halfway through it, and I was just like, whew, awesome, <laughs> dodged a bullet. Oh wait, yeah. I uh, I just remember before we uh, go to break here. That's the nice thing about having my iPad next to me now. I don't have oh. to tie up bandwidth on the. Uh, computer type away i can actually look this stuff up quietly while you're doing your synopsis i looked up rudy nebris says here is a filipino comic book artist who has mostly worked as an inker in the american comic book industry known for his lush detailed ink lines nebris most prolific period was in the late 70s throughout the 80s and then it goes on to talk about his work says uh 
blah, blah, blah. Worked on House Mystery, House Secrets. Yep. That's where I know him for from. fellow first. Filipino cartoonist Tony DiZaniga Studio. Okay. Oh. I uh, totally uh, remember his name in horror anthology Warren. comics. He worked at Warren, yeah, on such titles as Creepy, Eerie, mm-hmm. Vampirella, and 1984. That's probably okay. where he from. Yeah, That's why I've seen his name before, because I love that stuff. And you can see it in the in the art in this one. Here you go. He worked on John Carter, Warlord of Mars for Star Wars. There, you, That's why this issue kind of... Because the fir- uh-huh. first thing I thought when I started reading this was, oh no, is this another one of those issues rescued from like a John Carter story or something? Because <laughs> it does kind of feel like that. It All could be in some way, yeah. It really does. If, if it is, they, they actually tried to craft it into a Star Wars story this time, though. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think it was, but it, it just had that in the art. Kind of had that mm-hmm. in places, but no, I, I do think that more than likely this was a completely original story, unlike that uh, god awful Princess Leia story that w- that was literally salvaged from John Carter. Well, take another little break, play some promos, and we'll come back with the uh, final section here. Yes. The end of Jones. This is the Old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... Alright, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, risen! Alright, let's just keep this simple. Hello everybody, my name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. The Dinner for Geeks podcast. Four geeks eating dinner. Opinion. Batman Begins was interminable. Screw all of you people in your backstory. Okay? <laughs> it's, no, it's no Grease 2, I'll tell you that. I don't think she was ever hotter than in Grease 2, and I hate to say that because I'm not a musical man. Maxwell Caulfield, also never hotter than in Grease 2. <laughs> Question. Why in God's name did Kenner decide to go, you know, we just don't like the head on that solo figure. Let's redo it and make it look ridiculous. Who is Naven Jones? Story. <laughs> you don't have a gun. And you don't think you're, you're... I don't think I'm responsible enough. No. Yeah, yeah. And I do have a gun, but I started thinking, I don't think I'm responsible enough. <laughs> well, it's a small gun, so I called it my holdout blaster. <laughs> if you're calling it a blaster, you're probably not responsible. <laughs> and the one time I was... you're calling it pop <laughs> And the one time I thought of buying another gun... It was a broom-handled Mauser. Oh, no. So <laughs> exactly. Gun? Exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I talked to my uncle, who was a gun guy. I told him what I wanted to get. He goes, why would why? you want that? <laughs> and I told him, he goes, maybe you don't need a gun. <laughs> and 
dinner. We got seasonal fruit for an upcharge. Yeah. Uh, uh, you got any pickles back there? No. Dinner4geeks.libsyn.com or in the Apple iTunes store under Dinner4geeks. It's like an Easter egg you don't have to look real hard to find. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist's thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday, and now we come to the final part of the show. Last, but certainly not least, the further adventures of Indiana Jones. Yes. Issue number 12. Huh? What? Yeah, I was just going to say, and this time, (laughs) Mr. Scott Jump the Gun Gardner is going to be doing the synopsis. Yes. Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, issue 12, cover dated December 1983. This was on sale August 30th, 1983. That's according to Mike Voyles at Mike's Amazing World of Comics. You can find that at www.dcindexes.com. Tell him two true freaks sent you. If you're not using that site, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you because it's awesome and and you need to go. Now Mike Boyles also is starting a podcast, mm-hmm. starting with the very beginning of DC Comics, and he's going to just power right through, I'm uh, assuming. But yeah, check it out. Come to Two True Freaks. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> Original cover price on this one, 60 cents. Cover by Bob McCloud. And this one has indie... Uh, being attacked by a bull and his hat's being knocked off and he's actually kind of sort of thwarting the bull the way that he does in the issue now you know me you know I love me some Bob McCloud but I have to admit sadly I've never liked this particular cover and the reason why I think it, it finally I was really examining this cover today trying to understand why have i never liked this cover and i think what finally hit me was that i don't know so much about the bull but indy looks like he's been drawn by kurt schaffenberger to me here and not by mcleod and while i like schaffenberger don't get me wrong i think he would be wrong for indiana jones so it's just, just something about it to me that just looks a little... Plus, Indy's clean-shaven, I just realized, too. So, I don't know. It just doesn't... He just doesn't look right to me. He doesn't look like Indy to me, somehow. Not a bad cover, just just not one of my favorites. Anyway, this is The Fourth Nail, Chapter 2, Swords and Spikes. David Michelini, plot and script... Kerry Gamble did the pencil art on pages 1 through 10. Luke McDonald takes over for uh, pencil art on pages 11 through 22. Mel Candido finished art. Joe Rosin, Riz Riz Raz. Bob Sharon colors. Louise Jones editor. Jim Shooter editor in chief. 
Indiana Jones is on the trail of the legendary Fourth Nail, a mysterious Christian artifact said to be the spike the Romans intended to drive into the heart of Jesus Christ at the crucifixion, before it was stolen away by gypsies and lost to time, myth, and folklore. Indy's travels have brought him to Barcelona, Spain, and through misadventure, directly into the path of a massive, angry, charging bull. So Indy's first thought is the one that I had last issue, and that was that Torino set him up. But he quickly discards this notion, feeling that he knows his friend well and that Torino is no killer. Right now, however, Jones has bigger problems, like how to survive the next few seconds. Acting quickly, he lashes his whip to an overhead beam and starts to haul himself up out of the creature's path. But the wood doesn't support his weight and gives way, dumping Jones unceremoniously back on the ground, still in harm's way. In a desperate, last-ditch maneuver, Indy grabs up the broken beam and jams it onto the bull's horns as the beast plows into him, knocking his hat off and knocking him to the ground once again. Simply to keep from being gored, Indy grabs the bull by the tail and hangs on for dear life. The animal bucks and thrashes, throwing Jones about like a rag doll, and finally through a door and into another room. It takes the bull a moment to realize where Jones has disappeared to, but by the time it charges into the darkened room after him, Indy's had time to do a quick inventory and he dumps a large tarp over the uh, bull's face and then he flees, snatching up his hat and whip on the way by. Outside, catching his breath, Indy peers around the edge of a building and into the streets and sees that the pissed-off townsfolks that were chasing uh, he and Torino last issue, well, they're still out there milling about. So, just as Indy is telling himself to keep a low profile, someone calls out to him. But, it turns out that it's just his gal pal, Marion Ravenwood, and she's recently been appointed the PR officer for Marcus Brody's museum, and she's come to join him. Jones is less than thrilled to see her, but when she makes a passing remark about having seen Torino and the Arab swordsman, oh, sorry, Ismali assassins, Jones is suddenly interested in what she's got to say and having her uh, hang around. Together, they track the ninjas, or whatever the hell these guys are supposed to be, to the docks where they're about to start torturing Torino. Armed only with his whip, because he lost his revolver last issue, Indy charges in to save his friend, but he's outmanned and outclassed. But thankfully, Marion does have a gun. It, combined with Jones's quick wits and dirty fighting skills, helps them win this round. After a brief check-in with Ben Ali Ayub, who started the whole ball rolling in the first place on this uh, little adventure, it's back to our intrepid trio, and they rest up, and make plans. Torino knows where the nail is. It is cared for by the shaman of Torino's gypsy camp, but he can't just take Indian Marion directly to the shaman without permission from his tribal leaders, so they all set out for the camp and hopefully to get permission from the, the leader to go see the shaman. But their plans are overheard by a spying Ismali. They make it to the camp and are welcomed by the Gypsy King, who treats them well and feeds them. But the pissed-off townsfolks have followed uh, Indy and the others, and they show up and start making trouble. 
Indy puts up a good showing and uh, again going up the, against the uh, big palooka that he fought in the bell tower in the last issue and who I thought died because Indy tricked him into falling through a rotted roof like several stories. So I thought the guy was dead, but he turns up here again and Indy beats the crap out of him once more. The invaders are repelled and the king is uh, impressed and Indy gets the permission that he sought to go see the old gypsy shaman woman. However, Indy hasn't been entirely truthful with Torino or the king or anybody else. He wants more than just a peek at the artifact. But along the way, Indy begins to experience something new. Self-doubt. Can he really go through with his plan to just take the nail? Eventually, Jones, Marion, and Torino arrive at the shaman's place and are led into the dark tunnels to an altar. An altar containing... A rusty old railroad spike, Jones says, and he scoffs and he's disgusted that this whole adventure has just been a wild goose chase. However, the Ismalis aren't so quick to dismiss the object. They show up, endanger Torino as a distraction, and while Indy and Marion are busy saving Torino, the Ismalis take possession of the nail. But the power of Christ compels them to drop dead. Jones and company catch up to the assassins only to find them all strewn about the floor spiked through the heart the old gypsy woman reclaims the artifact and actually offers it up to jones but he knows better now and he just politely declines and so early the next morning indy and marion ride donkeys back to barcelona marion tries to buck up indy's spirits but he grouses about having to return to the museum with nothing to show for his troubles but injuries while in Australia, Ayub senses that the men he dispatched on a mission to recover the fourth nail will not be returning, and he promises that the game Indiana Jones began with his interference, there will only be one survivor. Next issue, Cliff Divers, Mysterious Gunmen, Amorous Coeds, and Indy takes them all on in Deadly Rock. I hope. Carmine Infantino draws the co-eds. <laughs> What'd you think of this one? It was pretty good. You could definitely tell when the art changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big time. I like Carrie Gamble's art. I really like Carrie Gamble's art. I like Luke McDonald, but I agree with you that the moment the art changed, you could most definitely tell that it did. Yeah, it just lost a lot of life. Mm-hmm. Even the way the... the, the pages are laid out is just a little more boring you know what i mean <laughs> a little more boring yeah yeah slightly I, more boring i agree you know or you know i mean the there's there's movement in life in the carrie gamble part and the other part is just sort of sectioned off pages you know mm-hmm. i like this a lot for some reason i remembered this being one of my favorite stories but now having reread it i think i was confusing this one and the one, what was the one with the Nazis where they wind up in the laser death trap? We just read that. Oh, one. God, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I think I was confusing the two of those for some reason. That was like I, four months ago. Yeah, I, like that. I actually like that one quite a bit. I liked this one, but it, it wraps up a little succinctly. Yeah. But I remember hearing something not long ago. I'm trying to remember where I heard it or read it or whatever. But I guess it was a directive from, I don't know, Lucasfilm or maybe Jim Shooter, somebody, that while 
the writer, who I, I'm assuming must have been Michelini uh, at this point, was mm-hmm. able to convince them that, look, it's Indiana Jones. It's got to be cliffhangers. I mean, that's the whole nature of this character. It's cliffhanger adventures. So he wanted cliffhanger stories that he wasn't able to get them to go from like more than um, one. You know what I mean? So it'd be like right. a two-chapter thing and then next story. So that's a shame because then you could have really drug out some of these stories if you could keep it going with a with a nice cliffhanger ending each time. But I'm trying to think, have we seen an, an adventure that's gone more than two issues at this point? I don't, I don't think, think we so. have. No. Yeah. And I don't think we ever do either, which is a shame. Because I think this one could have gone a little bit longer, actually. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. This could have been just a preamble to learning more about the art dealer guy. Ayub, and then, yeah. And having him as a heavy, and then it could just lead into another story. I'm trying to remember if he does, because there was an, a part in this that kind of threw me a little bit. I'm trying to remember where it is. I didn't include it in my synopsis because it didn't really play into the larger story. Mm-hmm. But there was a, a quick little, um, a quick little check in with Ayub essentially, and he said something to the effect of, "Where the hell is it here? Oh, here it is." He uh, he reads the the little update from his men. And then he's thinking to himself, and he says, Just as my physical thirst is sated by the cool water in this goblet, so will be quenched my thirst for retribution against Indiana Jones. What What the hell is he talking about? Uh, his henchmen are just shaking their head going, there he goes again. <laughs> I don't know what he's referring to, because he just met Jones in the last issue, and... I thought they more or less had uh, an amicable little meeting and everything, and Jones just declined to work for him. So what is he talking about? Retribution? What, does he feel that slighted that now he's got to kill the guy? Or I don't... I guess so. That didn't make sense to me. I'm, I'm not sure where that's coming from, unless there's you know, more history between these two than, than was given in the other issue or something. I, I really didn't get it. This one's got a little bit of predictor in it going on with the uh with the nail sort of being a simple mm-hmm. you know utilitarian thing yep much like the the holy grail the grail I had the same exact note yes definitely and and even the same the same and they're, they're, yeah they're basically two Christ, two Jesus artifacts mm-hmm yep both from the crucifixion, yeah. That you cannot remove <laughs> from where they are. Well, I thought it was neat that, although we didn't plan it this way by any stretch, there's a strong commonality between what we just covered, Star Wars Annual Number 2, and this one. They're both written by Michelinie, both heroes played by uh, Harrison Ford on the silver screen. Both of them are going after objects that, if they had touched them, would they would basically have doomed themselves because right. Han would have either died or had to go into that temple to go into suspended animation. Indy would have died like the Ismailis did. Would have so, gotten spiked to the heart. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was really a, a very odd coincidence that, you know, because these stories were, what, at least a year apart for one thing. But, I mean. If if Michelini really wanted to be a predictor, though, he would it would have been a neat little twist to have the gypsies say, Oh, Dr. Jones, are you the son of, 
you know, the other Dr. Jones, he tracked us down once, too, and we showed him the artifact. Because this would be totally like one of the things in in uh, Henry Jones's notebook, you know? Right, yeah, that's true. That is very true. Now, I want to know, this was my biggest mystery for this issue. When they get in the fight at the docks, and... Indy's fighting with the Ismalis and everything. There's one of them that's about to throw a knife at him, and suddenly there's a, there's a gunshot, and Indy looks, and it's kind of like the scene in Raiders. Uh huh. And the Ismali who is about to throw the knife just he says a, a bullet hole, and then he drops dead. And they all run away and everything. He's he's been shot by Marion. And then after they all leave. The henchmen, the other henchmen return. They pick the guy up off the ground. Yeah. And he says, uh, our leader, he says, are you uh, hurt badly? And the guy says, yes, I believe the uh, wound will ultimately prove to be fatal. But we can worry about such insignificant matters after we have completed our mission for the master. And the guy's got <laughs> the whole stuff. So what the hell is that all about? I- it's very, it's very ninja. You know, I can't die till. <laughs> but he shot center mass because they're they're semi supernatural. You know, they're super. They they're they're tough. His heart is clenching down on the bullet and keeping his heart from hemorrhaging until so he can complete his minute. So this is just Ventura, is what you're saying. He ain't got time to bleed. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. All right. He'll die later. <laughs> okay. Convenient. Wow, that would be a good uh, that'd be a good power to have right there. Yeah, I'll pencil that in. <laughs> <laughs> there are some nice little comedic bits in here, much like uh, much like his Star Wars run. Michelini, you know, makes time to to do some. Well, he realized both those those series had a good amount of humor in them, mm-hmm. and he would do, and he would, he would. Um, you know, tailor the humor as such too. It would be very, you know, it's it's usually a pratfall involving Indy getting whacked in the head or something. You know, this one right. has a big physical comedy bit with a with a pulley, where you know he's trying to pull somebody up from the well, and then he gets sucked back, whacks his head on the pulley, then he's falling, you know, and it, catching himself with his whip. So yeah, it's. I, I, he has a touch to to really capture the essence of the and the rhythms of the movies. Mm-hmm. I like the part where they were all in the back of the, that beat up old truck riding to the gypsy camp, and um, what's his name? Torino starts hitting on Marion, and he's feeding her the cheesiest lines, yeah. and she's just lapping it up, and she says, "Oh yeah, tell me more." She says, I hope you're taking notes, Jones. He starts to pull his hat down over his face. He says, I feel like taking a powder. I just thought that was funny. I, there were some really good little comedic moments like that. Where Torino gets cornered by, uh, what is it, three guys. Three huge guys are looming over him. He's trying to hold him off with an itty-bitty knife. He throws his arm up over his face. He Pink can't sticker. look. Yeah. The ninja guy runs in, hacks everybody to death, runs back out, and then when Torino opens his eyes, 
<laughs> everybody's dead. And he's just left kind of confounded about it. I thought that was actually pretty cool, too. Grand Torino, played by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Off my lawn. Yeah, the thing with the with the pulley was a little... That bit was a little bit strange, I thought. And Jones is beat to hell at the end of this issue, though. That's how it's supposed to be. Yep. Because he actually, for a change, he actually runs down his list of injuries. He usually just, he looks all beat up, but he doesn't really moan about it. He actually moans yeah. about it in this one. He's got, what does he say? Cracked rib, dislocated he shoulder. He does a lot of moaning in this one. He's like, yeah. I thought we'd have a better car. It's like, really, Indy? You did? Aren't you used to traveling in the most horrible you know, conditions? And you know, It would be more something Marion would complain about. It's funny, though, that at the end of it, it feels like a somewhat stereotypical adventure of Indy. You know, he went through all this crap, yeah. got beat to hell, but at the end of it, he did the right thing and he didn't take the artifact. And it's funny that it should feel stereotypical because at this point, all they, again, all that they were working off of was Raiders. Raiders. So if anything, this kind of set that template to be a stereotypical adventure. It's just funny how it worked out like that. Yeah. But I got a kick out of this. I thought this was a really, uh, it was a fun adventure. It was a little wacky, but it was fun. Still hasn't jumped the shark, so we're still doing good. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is the very last, um, work by Gamble on this, though, so I'm very curious to know where it goes from here. And that teaser yeah. meant nothing to me. I was looking at the teaser there with, what's it say against this? Cliff, Cliff Dwellers, Mysterious Gunman, Amorous Coeds. I have no idea what the hell the next story is. Could I don't be remember. any, yeah, yeah, could be any Indiana Jones story. <laughs> so we'll see with that. But. That's about all I got. So next time... Oh, did you have anything else on this one? No, that's all I got. I am really, really, really excited for next time because we are going to start delving into Star Wars Omnibus Wild Space and uh, and see what stories we'll go through on there. So we'll have to... We'll have to, to look our at heads it and together see what and we yeah, yeah, see what story that we're we're gonna want to do. I'm, I'm figuring at least probably the first chapter in there, which is uh, let's see, I think it's Star Wars Zero, yeah, Star Wars Zero, the Keepers Keepers World. But we'll we'll take a look and we'll see and we'll try to figure out exactly how we're gonna piecemeal this sucker over the next yeah. several episodes or whatever. But uh, I I'm I'm so excited to be getting to this. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's going to be cool. Anything else, man? Nothing. I got nada. <laughs> Bup kiss. All right, you kids be good. Stay the hell off my lawn. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. 
you can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.